Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is behind the scenes where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins and mostly I ask questions. This time I'm asking Ron Hurst, who is Vice President of Collections and Museums at Colonial Williamsburg. Something big happened at uh, DeWitt Museum lately. I, I, I probably should ask you to describe it in one sentence, but that seems unfair. <laughs> what happened? Well, after a year of work replacing the fire suppression system, a Reed sprinkler system, in the DeWitt Wallace Museum, it reopened to the public uh, with all exhibits back in place. But that year's work meant taking out every artifact, every work of art, moving all the staff away from the building, and taking out every inch of plumbing in the structure. Uh, but you, to get that done, you had to take out pretty much everything that you would normally call a museum. That's right. It uh, basically ended up being uh, a structure with nothing in it. Um, <laughs> the artwork, the props, the platforms, the railings, uh, the light fixtures, everything had to come out. Now, which, which means, at least to me, if you change all this stuff, even if you put the same material back in, it doesn't look the same anymore. That's right. That's right. In fact, it was a wonderful opportunity to refresh the entire museum. Some of the exhibits that went in are new ones that have never been on public view before, but some of them are exhibits that were there previously. Now they look like new pennies again. And uh, we've also used this as an opportunity to make the, the museum warmer and more welcoming by adding color to the walls, replacing the carpets, refinishing the floors, and it really does look terrific. The walls in the old museum were white, right? That's Which right. Which is not necessarily the color to display art and things. That's a good point. And uh, so now you've livened them up. We have. We've added all kinds of color, even to the Masterworks Gallery, which has for the last 20 years been a largely white space. Uh, the walls now include uh, tans and reds and, uh, and other colors, and the art looks spectacular. So even if you've seen the museum, you haven't seen the new museum. That's right. Uh, this is probably unfair, but that doesn't bother me. How long do you think this incarnation will last before somebody says, boy, this looks kind of old and dull? Well, uh, as a matter of fact, at Colonial Williamsburg's museums, we don't tend to think of any of our installations as being permanent. We're constantly about the business of putting up new shows. We do about nine in an average year anyway. So uh, we're always thinking in new ways as we move forward. And things that we did ten years ago are not necessarily the things that we do today. And that affects not only things like color choice, but the way we structure the labels, the way we put the art into the exhibits. The way public uh, guests come into museums has changed in the last 20 years. And museums used to be very staid and very formal places. Uh, and, and we want to be sure that today people find museums to be welcoming and friendly and easy to use because we want people to come in. If, after all, if we don't get them in the door, then we have failed in our mission to educate. So the uh, actually the color is more to draw people in and make them feel welcome and friendly and warm and all those things than the old white walls, which were just kind of formal, and you stood there and you looked at the art and then you didn't look at the art. That's right. That's right. You mentioned before uh, 
Masterworks exhibit. Yes. Can you explain that to me? It's a selection of about uh, 120 objects from our collection of more than 60,000 pieces of art, and they are arranged more or less chronologically from about 1680 through the 1830s, and they're drawn from all the media, furniture, paintings, silver, textiles, and so on. And uh, we, we've chosen them because they are the best of their kind. They are in very good condition. They're very well executed. And, uh, in fact, uh, in the new labeling, we have taken the dictionary definition of masterworks and stenciled it onto the wall. Oh, that explains it uh, better than I could. Uh, are there any new exhibits? There are new exhibits in the Wallace Museum. There is one on uh, tea chests, tea containers, tea caddies uh, that uh, are mostly from the 18th and early 19th century. And there's another that is, uh, has the intriguing title of um, Pounds, Pence, and Pistarines. It's about coins and currency in colonial America. That would be interesting. Uh, I know one of the problems around Colonial Williamsburg is when uh, guests and visitors say, how much would it cost now? And everybody just sort of looks at each other and says, I don't know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's, it's almost impossible to equate 21st century values for material goods with 18th century values because everything was so different. In the, the new museum, what do you personally like best? Well, that's a tough question, and it uh, changes from day to day. Okay. What, what is today's best, then? Well, I think one of the most appealing objects in the gallery is a Virginia tea table from about 1720. It's one of the earliest forms, er, earliest examples of the form known from colonial America, and it was made right here in eastern Virginia, probably not by a cabinet maker, but by a joiner or carpenter. We can tell that because of the rough-hewn tool marks on the bottom. This is a person who probably also made architectural paneling for houses because it uses many of the same tools. Mm -hmm. uh, 1720-something. Mm -hmm. uh, would a person looking at that know what it was or would he have to be told? Well, he would probably have to be told he would certainly recognize it as a table. But in the 18th century, there were many furniture forms that were designed for specific purposes. And there are often cues in the details of those objects that tell you how they were intended to be used. Mm -hmm. Tea tables, for example, usually have a rim around the top edge that's designed to keep you from pushing the valuable tea equipage off the edge inadvertently as you're passing things around. Um, and we try to be sure that our labels are written in friendly ways so that we can explain those kinds of things to people. This is a tea table, and you can tell because thus and so. Now, 20 years ago, it was enough in an art museum to put a table like that out and have a label that said, Tea Table, Virginia, 1720. But that assumes that the visitor knows everything about the object and is in the loop. And that's not a good assumption, necessarily. It's important to help people understand why things are interesting, not just to put it out there and let them guess. So you've not only friendlied up the building itself, you have made the, uh, the exhibits friendly to the patrons, to people who come look at them. And we've actually been trying to do that for a number of years and uh, have had some pretty good success at it, but we keep pushing on in that direction. How do you get your collections? 
Well, the collections uh, come to us in various ways. Uh, some are gifts, uh, a few are loans, most are purchases. And we purchase them from families, from auction houses, from antique dealers. And uh, we do that by ascertaining what kinds of things we need to tell the educational stories for the institution and then seeking those goods out in the marketplace. It's not a consistent stream of material. Um, How would you know that somebody had something that you might really want? By building up a network of uh, people who are interested in these kinds of things, word gets to us uh, directly or indirectly. Oftentimes, people with family heirlooms will approach and say, uh, this has come down in my family, and my children now live in Honolulu, Timbuktu, wherever. They're not as interested as I have been, and I want to guarantee its preservation in the future. Are you interested? And quite often we are. And so uh, we end up becoming, uh, in a way, the custodians for the future by caring for these parts of our material history. I hate to say it, but it it almost makes you an historical uh, warehouse. Um, It would if we took everything that came our way, but we're very particular about what comes in. It really needs to fill a niche in the educational mission. And if it doesn't, then we will usually try to help those folks find another institution where it would be useful. Because the last thing we want to do is to take works of art, antiques, period artifacts, and just put them in storage. Yeah, that that helps no one. Uh, certainly doesn't help with your educational mission. That's Just right. Collecting dust doesn't do very much for education. Uh, how many, and I don't know if you can answer this specifically, but let's give it a try. How many pieces of everything that are in the museum are there? Well, the collection as a whole is uh, a little better than 60,000 objects. And uh, between the two art museums, the DeWitt Wallace Museum and the Abbey Aldrich Rockefeller Folk Art Museum, and the buildings in the historic area, almost 50% of that is on exhibition at any given time. Now, most museums run an average of 12 to 15% of their collections on view, but we're a great deal higher than that, and we always have been. Uh, 50% on view at any one time. How often do you change the 50% so that the 50% that's not on view in January will be on view in? It, it depends upon the medium. There are some kinds of objects that are very sensitive to light damage, textiles, uh, works on paper, organic materials like uh, leather, and so those things get rotated fairly frequently. Other kinds of objects that are more stable don't have to be rotated nearly as often. So, for example, metals and ceramics can stay on view for long periods. But in the two art museums, we tend to rotate those shows uh, on an average of about 18 months to four years, depending on the subject, um, so that the next time a visitor comes back, there'll be something new to see and learn about. You've mentioned twice two art museums. Uh, I've been talking about one, so what's the second one? Then? Uh, the second one is the uh, Abbey Aldrich Rockefeller Folk Art Museum, oh, okay. which uh, is actually the nation's oldest museum don- d- devoted to the study of American folk art. And uh, it just moved to new quarters, uh, immediately adjacent to the DeWitt Wallace Museum, having been previously located a couple of blocks away. We now have both museums together under one roof, and it's a wonderful opportunity for visitors to compare and contrast these two very different collections. Uh, Yeah, I guess a folk art museum would be 
completely different from the DeWitt Wallace Museum, which is not folk art. That's right, that's right. Folk art tends to be uh, produced by people who are not professionally or academically trained. It's often thought of as the art of the self-taught artist, whereas uh, decorative arts in the Wallace Museum do tend to be by the professionals. Um, and I think many years ago there used to be the thought that one was better than the other, but what we need to understand today, and most people are beginning to understand this, is that these are simply expressions of past cultures. They represent the time, the place, the ethnic background of the people that produced them. And it isn't our job to say this one's better than that one. It's our job to say, what does this tell us about that time and place? And that's how we try to use the collections. Uh, when I was younger, I think the first folk artist I ever even heard of was Grandma Moses, and everybody just was amazed that this old woman, which she really was, had become a painter late in life. That's right. Uh, I thought she was wonderful, just because she just painted what she saw. She did. She did. She and she produced wonderful. Wonderful pictures that are easy for people to relate to, even today. Uh, she's been gone for a number of years, and uh, she used a lot of interesting techniques, uh, not just paint, but she would sometimes work, uh, for example, glitter into the surface when she was painting a snowy scene so that it had a reflective quality. Uh, that was folk art, right? I am right about that. That's right. Okay. <laughs> art is not my field, but I like to at least keep up. So you, under one roof, right? Correct. You have two museums with two entirely, I don't want to say unique because that's the wrong word, but different collections. Mm -hmm. Folk art over here, art over here. Uh, but the art includes textiles, tin work, uh, tea table. Uh, now, again, tea table is for the tea service, yes. right? It's not where you sit. You would sit around it, and, and it would be arrayed with uh, things like hot water kettle, teapot, uh, cream ewer, sugar basin, things like that. Uh, odd question. How many visitors at the two museums do you think, I know I'm asking you to project, but in, in 07, how many visitors will you have? Well, let me answer it by uh, by saying saying it this way: the last full year of operation at the Wallace Museum uh, brought in 270,000 visitors, and we think that now that the Wallace Museum and the Abbey Aldrich Rockefeller Museum are together on one site, that the attendance will certainly increase. And because we expect more visitors in Williamsburg in 2007 anyway, we're expecting numbers in excess of 300,000 at the museums. Mm -hmm. The Wallace Museum is uh, is usually in the top ten of all the sites at Colonial Williamsburg for visitation each year. So uh, its new uh, combination of the decorative arts and folk art we think will be even more appealing. That's Colonial Williamsburg past and present this time. Checkhistory.org often will post more for you to download and hear.